what is the setup here? I mean, who's your boss? God. What? My boss. Scott. I'm an angel. I'm one of the best, but I try. And I make mistakes. Guess he figures the only way I'm going to learn is by mistakes. I'm kind of new at this. Hello. Welcome to Highway to Heaven Revisited. Hosted by Rachel Mayer and Joel Luders. With moderator, Sam Hine. For those just joining us here on the ninth episode of the comprehensive watch-through Highway to Heaven podcast, hosted by Joel Luters and Rachel Mayer, my name is Sam Hine, and I am the moderator of this podcast. Uh, Right before we began taping, I bequeathed Joel with a personal gift. Joel, you said something about, were you looking for a flamingo shirt online? Yes, I was looking at different types of button-up shirts, and I came across some that had flamingos on them. My family lives in Florida. We went to SeaWorld. One of my favorite incidents in my life was when we were walking around SeaWorld and then around the corner came a herd of flamingo, otherwise known as a flamboyance of flamingos. And we were surrounded by flamingos mm-hmm. and they were sassy and friendly. Yep. And I felt like I was in a cartoon world. And so when I came across some dress shirts that had flamingos on them, flamingos, <laughs> flamingos, as they say in Spain, the memory came back and I said to myself, I want to own nothing but flamingo shirts. Not flamingo shirts, because those would be big ones that you'd play yeah, a guitar to. Be careful. Mm-hmm. People are going to start sending you a bunch of flamingo shirts. So if you want to send me... We flam- don't have a P.O. box set up yet, guys. Hold on. <laughs> All right. Well, on today's episode, we're in the double digits, right? This is season one, episode 11. We're going to get to what happens, but okay. I wanted to be on microphone while I try, for the very first time, astronaut ice cream. I'm sure our listeners all remember, but on our second podcast, we were discussing astronaut ice cream, which I had and neither Joel nor Sam had had before. Hmm. So I found this on the internet and it, it does look like exactly like what I remembered. I am opening a Neapolitan ice cream sandwich, freeze-dried, ready-to-eat space food. It says it has a picture of one of the lunar astronauts with a reflection of another astronaut and the lunar module and the American flag in his reflective visor. And it looks like in the picture, the astronaut who's observing the other astronaut is holding a Neapolitan ice cream sandwich in his hand. Although I'm not sure how he's going to eat it since it looks like the visor is down. Okay, so I just opened up this. I ripped open the top of the plastic bag and there's what appears to have been an ice cream sandwich. It has chocolate wafers and then it has three distinct stripes of ice cream. Yeah, I'm it just looks gonna... just like an ice cream sandwich. And it feels very brittle. It says that they had this on the Mercury mission. Astronaut ice cream was invented for NASA's Mercury mission. Enjoy this delicious treat, just like the astronauts. Available in a variety of tempting intergalactic flavors. Uh, here's what I think so far. From a crispy chocolate cookie standpoint, it is very satisfying as a snack. Okay. I like the wow. wafer a lot. Yeah, that's not bad. I'm kind of pleasantly surprised. This is a delightful treat. If I was in the vacuum of space uh, with an isolated group of people, this would be a nice dessert to have on a spaceship. So you guys are here to discuss Season 1, Episode 11. What is the title of this episode? I don't want to say it together. Okay. Rachel, this is all you. What is the title of Season 1, Episode 11? Dust Dust Child. Dust child. Yes. Well, I know what it's probably about. Let me tell you what my nerd tells me it's about. This is about a mutant. This is about the origin story of the Spider-Man villain Sandman, a child who can turn his corporeal form into dust. Is that a real thing? I mean, it's in the comic books. (laughs) But what this episode really is about is a child of the Dust Bowl. And for those not able to see me at home, what I did very (laughs) smugly is I crossed my arms and then leaned back very confidently in my chair. He was like, mm-hmm. He gave that mm-hmm look. I mean, that's an excellent guess, but it's not correct. Okay. Well, correct my course here, guys. Tell me where we begin. We fade in right to the car. Right to the car this time. Who's driving? John. Jonathan's driving again. Okay, two episodes in a row, Jonathan's seen behind the wheel. He must have a very convincing facsimile driver's license. He better because Mark is asleep with his baseball hat over his eyes. Mm -hmm. Mark wakes up. You know, he starts asking, where are we? How far have we driven? And I can't remember exactly. Yeah, he's like, are we in Weston? Are Are we at New Hemsworth? 
Jonathan says, no, we're in this town. And Mark's like, whoa, how long was I sleeping? And Jonathan says, oh, about an hour. And Mark's like, we drove you, you drove what? 400 miles in an hour? I'm going to let you do the driving all the time. Skirting the laws of physics, really. Mm-hmm. And Jonathan just smirks. Oh, I think he does say miracle, ain't it? Oh, yeah, he does. Sorry. Yes, every act of an angel is defined as a miracle. Uh-uh. Why haven't they been doing this before? Do we have any proof they haven't been? This show is just sliders. <laughs> I mean, they already know how to teleport. It, true, it's a portal through time or something on sliders. There's some sort of device where they open a door and mm-hmm. they jump through like a blue swirly thing every mm-hmm. episode. If you can move a car 400 miles instead of 65 miles in an hour, you're pretty much teleporting. What are they up to? Where are we going today? We're not sure quite yet. They're going to pull up into a gas station and Mark does ask Jonathan, where are we going? What's going on? And Jonathan says, I'm not sure yet. He's looking a little confused, looking around. And Mark says, well, since we're at the gas station, I'm going to go get a soda. You want anything? Any food, beverages? And Michael Landon says, I need of no sustenance, human. Right. John, of course, doesn't want anything. And Mark's kind of like... Why'd I even ask? So Jonathan Price has no idea where they're going so far. Jonathan Smith? No. That's what I said. Mm -hmm. I'm the cult leader. So Jonathan goes into the gas station and it's a time. Jonathan Price goes into the gas station. Mark. (laughs) Joel's looking really confused. He's not with us yet. I said the wrong name. (laughs) I just said the wrong name. Mark goes into the gas station. He goes in and we see a scene inside the gas station with the gas station attendant. And there's a group of Vietnamese kids asking for change. The guy won't give him any change. And then Mark says something like, oh, I guess that means I don't get any change. You must be out of change. Because I need change to use your vending machine. And he goes, no, 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 it's fine. I can give you change here. Oh, I see what's going on. And just in case you didn't pick up on that, the gas station attendant does go on to make it clear they don't get change because of their race. If they want it, they should go to their side of town. So this is where the show's going to happen. There's a racist gas station owner who needs a little perspective. Well, the problem is... Is bigger than just the gas station attendant. The gas station attendant goes on his little racist tangent about your people came here and took all our jobs and blah, 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 blah. Mark doesn't just stand by and listen to this, though. Mark turns to the attendant and asks, where did your family come from? Where's your family from? Wisconsin. No, I remember you before that. Europe? England. Well, you better not ask an Indian for change. You might feel the way you do. Good point. So this show, just for anybody who doesn't know, is a couple years out from the Vietnam War. That would have been in pretty recent history. And if this show is from 1984, less than 10 years. So once again, Michael Landon is just diving into the issues of the day. I'm glad this is being explored. It is pretty interesting that we are 25 years, give or take, down the road and the rhetoric is... 35, actually. I hate to depress you. It's 35 years. (laughs) Wow, you're right. 35. Thanks. The kids also said thanks to Mark when they were outside. Mark buys them sodas. Hey, kids, here, let me buy you all some sodas. Which ones do you want? Here you go. Have some colas. And then Mark buys himself a soda, which happens to be called Diet Fizz. I think they still sell that at Sam's Club in Costco. He's about to head back to the car. He notices something different about the car. Strapped to the roof of the car. (laughs) Any yes. idea? Any idea, Sam? What's strapped uh, to the roof? Strapped to the roof of the car. Is it another mode of transportation? No. Is it an aquatic mode of transportation? No. It's not a canoe. That's no. my guess. A canoe. Some ladders. Some ladders. Okay. Mm-hmm. I guess Michael Landon got the message he was looking for. Yep. That's what Mark kind of says to himself. Oh, ladders. Huh. I guess we're here, huh? Are we doing some house painting? You got you it. You got it. Nice. But we're not going to get there quite yet. Sure. But you know, we have to introduce a few more characters. Definitely. That's how this show goes. So after the whole ladders, where do we find ourselves? Some kids are playing soccer. We have a dad figure. We find out his name is Richard. So Richard is coaching some teenage boys playing soccer. And it's pretty much just your average soccer montage. Somebody scores a goal. They all cheer. And then the team all comes in for a little huddle on the sidelines. They talk about upcoming practice, talk about some games. And then the coach tells them to hit those books. Remember, there's more to life than soccer, to which one of the boys says, And girls. 
girls? What about girls? And then they all laugh. This coach, the actor, is James Whitmore Jr. That name sounds familiar. It should be. He's a very special quantum leaper. James Whitmore Jr. acted in three episodes of Quantum Leap. Wow. One was Mirror Image, where he played the police captain. One was in Trilogy Part 1 as the Sheriff Clayton Fuller. Third one was called Eight and a Half Months, where he played Bob Crockett. The next thing about James Whitmore Jr. is he directed 18 episodes of Quantum Leap. Holy Moses. Including a two-parter, the one about Lee Harvey Oswald, and a three-parter. What? He's in the episode Rebel Without a Clue, Leap of Faith, Piano Man, Family Man. And one more thing about James Whitmore Jr. He also directed Scott Bakula in episodes for four different television series. Quantum Leap, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, Star Trek Enterprise, and NCIS New Orleans. Wow, yeah, I've read that guy's name on some credits before. That's why it sounds familiar. He uh, yeah. he works a lot. He's got a couple irons in the fire, this Whitmore character. Okay, so we're at the end of soccer practice. We've got Coach Richard, son Brad, friend Larry walking back to the car. And the coach is ribbing Larry a little bit about his shoddy soccer shoes. He says, it's about time to replace those shoes, son. And Larry's like, I'd like to, but I can't really afford it right now. And guess what happens? Coach goes to his wooden station wagon, opens it up and pulls out a shoe box and he's like check these out these might be your size they are he has shoes for larry not even angel magic shoes no no, he just like has nice guy shoes he sounds like a guy with a heart of gold yeah so we do see the group get in the station wagon together and they drive home and this is when we find out that larry is actually a next door neighbor of richard and brad's family okay pull into the driveway and we see larry's mom out watering the flowers and she's got a nice dress on wearing a floral apron very a stereotypical mom looking. Son Brad invites Larry over to look at his new railroad magazine. Larry He's, gets excited. He wants to. Because he hears that there's a new Zeppelin type train in there. <laughs> <laughs> A Zeppelin type train. A flying train? No, he said Zephyr. Oh, oh. Uh, Zephyr. Okay. I was just seeing if you would catch me. <laughs> uh, nice try, Jewel. Yeah, so he says, come over and check out the new Zephyr train. It's in my new train magazine. Larry's like, oh, yeah, that would be great. And then he's like, oh, I promised my mom I'd mow the lawn. I'll, I'll be over. And then Coach Dad's like, your mom depends on you, Larry. Ah, you're right, Coach. I'll go mow the lawn. Maybe I'll come by later. Thanks for the shoes. Runs over to the mom. The mom sees the shoe box and uh, yells back to the coach oh thank you so much that's so kind they go inside mom dad son they're all happy the dad those flipping through the mail he's like oh, bills more bills more junk mail there's just nothing good in the mail for me today and then mom comes kind of up behind him and she's smiling and holding a letter and she says look what came in the mail it came from immigration and they both look really happy and like surprised oh okay they're adopting a child potentially from an Asian nation. Oh, it gets even better. Dad says, oh, she's finally coming. Dear and mom, mom and dad hug. And Brad's like, uh, who, who's coming, dad? What are you talking about? Why are you so excited? Dad's like, hey, Brad, wanna come sit down with me? <laughs> no. Brad, you know, I was in the army. Vietnam. I, uh, I met a woman when I was in Saigon. A Vietnamese woman. I want you to understand that this is before your mom and I were married. Go on. Well, uh, this woman and I lived together for a while. It was very lonely there, son. It was terrible at times. And I cared cared for her a great deal. Did you know? Yes. Father told me all about her. Anyway, son, when when my tour in Nam was over, uh, they shipped me home. The woman wrote me a letter. She had a baby. A girl. That... uh, That girl is my daughter. He didn't find out about the daughter until he was back in the United States. And now the daughter is going to be coming to live with us. But mom has known about this all along. This all happened before mom met dad, so she's cool with it. Okay. But you know who didn't know about it? Poor Brad. (laughs) Poor Brad. Yeah, poor Brad. I have to say, I do like mom and dad in this episode. Dad seems like a really nice guy, but they do not process this with Brad at all. They basically tell him, you have a sister, her name is Noyen, and she's coming to live with us, like, tomorrow. No time to think about it. My predicting brain, my sleuthery is telling me that Brad is going to be pretty upset about this, and he might be upset to the point where he either acts out viciously or runs away. 
<laughs> Some of those elements are right. Some of them are close. So we cut to the ladder car at night. So John and Mark pull up in front of this family's house. It is nighttime. John tells Mark he won't be long. Before John gets out of the car, though, Mark is thinking of a lot of excuses why he doesn't want to be a house painter. He says he's afraid of heights, that he's, he's allergic. allergic to paint. Allergic to paint, okay. Yeah, he doesn't want to be a painter. So just Jonathan goes up and rings this family's doorbell. Richard comes to the door and Jonathan tells him that he's here to give him a quote on painting the house. I hear you're looking for a house painter. And Larry, of course, is like, huh? I mean, my wife and I mentioned that last Wednesday, but we haven't called anybody about that. I mean, great guess. But he actually says that he has been getting bids on this job, but it's too expensive. So they decided not to go forward with it at this point. Maybe because they have a new daughter coming to live with them, too. Sure. But Jonathan tells him, you know, I'll give you a good quote. I bet I can give you a quote that you'll agree with. Yeah, my friend and I are two of the best, but we're in between jobs right now. So I'm sure we can give you a good price. It's going to be free. It's going to be free later. I'm surprised he didn't say like, hey, I'm going to paint this one for free. And then when you move in 12 (laughs) years and upsize, that one will be half price. That would be true to form. And Richard says, well, if you're fair enough, you might have come along at just the right moment. To which Jonathan says, yeah, I do that sometimes. That sounds like a classic Michael Landon moment. So it's the next day and John's in the room with Brad. Like measuring stuff, which I didn't understand, but I've also never painted figure out how much houses. paint you need. He's painting the exterior of the house. But oh. he's inside measuring. Eh, you gotta figure out how big the house is. It might have just been an excuse. <laughs> but there's this awesome model train set. Uh, yes, of course there is. <laughs> on the table. And Brad is like cleaning up and putting parts of the train set into boxes. John's like, hey, that's a really cool train set you got there you know is that a zephyr brad's like yeah my dad and my neighbor larry and i've been working on this train set for years and dad said we could knock out the wall and make the room bigger for the trains but now we can't because this room's got to be used by somebody <laughs> and then his friend larry comes over and he's like hey dude what are you doing you boxing up that stuff and brad's just sitting there we're gonna get a new house guest why <laughs> can't they sleep on the couch oh, it's kind of permanent Takes another bite of his shit sandwich. Yeah. Now, here's the part that I do want to talk about Brad the actor. The coach's son is actor Billy Jane, who I thought while watching this was the kid from Big. He looks just like him, but he's not. Interesting. He's another like child actor who was in a ton of stuff, including Cujo. Parker Lewis Can't Lose. He was one of the main characters in Parker Lewis Can't Lose. Is that the one where like a kid gets to be a secret agent or something? I was just about a kid who was like so good at high school. To me, the show reminded me of the continued adventures of... Um, Ferris Bueller. There it is. He was also in one of my favorite movies in high school, Just One of the Guys. Just One of the Guys? How would that movie hold up if we watched it right now? What is that movie? <laughs> I don't think I've... I've never seen that movie and I'm not sure I've heard of it. Just One of the guys was about this girl who poses as a boy at a school honestly having watched the movie dozens of times i can't remember why but then like everyone all the girls fall in love with her i might have seen this movie you probably (laughs) saw it at some point i imagine i would have and billy zane played her brother in this and when i saw that i go oh yeah you can remember that i totally remember that brother because he was the one who's like how am i supposed to feel about this i got my sister wearing my underwear But it's disappointing to have to say that he's not a leaper, unfortunately. No. But he does have big, brown, soulful eyes. And he's cool looking. Which is Excellent. good because he's kind of got a potty mouth. So you kind of have a feeling as a viewer where you're like, you're lucky you're cute, kid. Yeah, yeah. So Brad's telling his friend Larry, I've got a new sister coming. She's coming from Vietnam. Larry gets mad at Brad because his father was killed by the Vietnamese. He was the killed Vietnam. in the Vietnam War. By, okay, both sides of the someone. conflict being represented in different colors here. Yes. All right, let's talk about it. What Joel and I talked about is throughout this episode, which was shot in 1984, they do use a common Asian racial slur. Is it a word that starts with a G? Yeah. And I don't want to say this throughout the episode, Sure. personally. For me, it's going to be pretty easy to just say what happened without actually throwing this word out there. Okay. Trigger warnings. The word is gook. Yes. It is not a good word. No. Don't use this in real life. Don't go around You're not allowed it. to say it. And it's unfortunate that it was on broad 
broadcast television than 1984. It is tricky because clearly it was not problematic enough to be censored on primetime television in 1984. But at the same time, how do you tell a racially charged story? You can't just tiptoe around the word. I don't really know what the solution would have been because it does contribute to the storytelling. The word is used as the acid. So the word does have the power that it, I mean, it's not like saying like, hey, everybody talks like this. It's totally normal. When it's used, it's the acid that deflates the souffle of the scene triggers the next thing to happen. Yeah. Well, I mean, these are fictional tales. So in order for a racist character to be portrayed, one of the tenets of a racist person is using racial slurs. The staff here at Highway to Heaven Revisited want to go on record saying that we do not use this word in our real life. We shall not use it ad nauseum during this podcast. I believe the one time I just uttered it will be the only time we say it. But if we want to pinpoint those moments when the word is said, we can just mention it, I guess. But we're not we're not going to say that word again. That sounds fair. I was thinking about this on the way over here, how to address it. The thing that always bothered me when I was listening to something and I would hear someone say like, oh, we don't use the XP word. I'm using XP because that isn't, as far as I know, mean anything. But you'd hear, you'd be like, oh, oh. we don't use the XP word. And you're like, ooh, what's the XP word mean? I have to Google that immediately. I don't like it because you kind of give this magical power to it in yeah. a way. And then there's arguments of like, oh, if you dance around it, well, you are just forcing people to put the word in their mind. But at the same time, I think uh, it should just be uh, put away. Yeah. Well, we shall not perpetuate the use of this word moving forward into the future. I brought it up right then because to finish our scene with Larry and Brad, Larry, whose father has been killed in the Vietnam War, finishes their conversation by throwing out a couple good uh, slurs and saying, I can't believe that type of person is going to live with you. They killed my dad. Brad doesn't know what to do. Brad's just mostly perplexed He tries to defend his dad and say, well, those types of people were from this part of Vietnam. It's like trying to differentiate between the North and in the south of Vietnam, trying to justify it somehow. But Brad's not happy about the situation either. So now he's suddenly having to like defend a choice that he's mad about. He probably feels like he got hit by a zephyr yeah. with this brand new news. No big train room, sucker. Mm-hmm. Your new sister's coming tomorrow. And then his best friend, who Brad wants him to be like, I'm sorry that happened, Brad. That sucks. Instead, just throws some more bombs his way and Brad's left just with nobody on his side. You he's have a like, person in a race that I detest moving into this house as your best friend i'm never coming back to this house again basically the enemy is inside yep nice knowing you brad sorry your sister killed my dad he doesn't really say that but that's what he's implying definitely all right so we need a little we need a little comic relief here yeah i I would say so far this is an action-packed fun episode (laughs) so tell me more guys so we're at the bachelor hotel Mark walks in, complaining about his back. Apparently, he's been painting all day. Yeah, Mark's not used to that kind of manual labor. Just sitting around in his police cruiser is what he used to do, maybe pushing papers. Certainly not being on a ladder painting a house all day. But so Mark's kind of speculating on this new contraption he's seen advertised on TV that hangs a person upside down. And it's supposed to hang you upside down and give you some relief from your back pain. Some inversion. Is it like sort of a table that swings over? over like you strap yourself to a gurney that's on a hinge well you know what sam i don't know because you don't need an inversion machine when you have god all you have to do is say god i wish my back felt better oh god i wish i were hanging upside down right now hey this feels kind of (laughs) good thanks they won't thank me i didn't do anything wait you mean the boss did it Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I'm going to take a little walk. I'll see you later. Yeah. You go ahead. I'm just going to hang around here. Can you get it? Hang around here. <laughs> I got it. I'll see you later. Hey, that feels a lot better. Okay, that's enough. I said that's enough. Hello? Jonathan! 
Jonathan! See, that's where the terrifying scenario comes into play, where it's just like this omniscient force has flipped me over, and here I am trapped in some sort of like force field. See, I would think that maybe God, because he's all-powerful, might have issues about scale. And if he's pulled me up to the ceiling, what's to stop him from pulling me and my atoms up through the rafters till I get like just cheese-grated through the <laughs> atoms? I would hope God would know better than to do that. Then there's a calamity of noise and people and television reporters and they're at the airport. Oh yeah, we're at the airport. Richard, Brad, and mom are at the airport to pick up their new daughter slash sister. This is a hot news story in town. (laughs) It is, in fact. There's a news team there. They're like, Brad, uh, what's it like to have a new sister? Brad's not happy about being interviewed. Uh, He's trying not to say, I think my parents hate me because I wasn't worthy of knowing this before yesterday. So then we get to meet Noyen. Noyen comes walking out with a flight attendant. She kind of crouches back when the flashbulbs go off. She's just acting very scared, sort of cowering in the arms of the flight attendant, hiding behind her suitcase. Reminded mm-hmm. me of like when you bring a new cat to a house and they're like, oh, 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 oh okay, what, am, wait, what do I need to be worried about? So then Richard, the dad, walks up to her and he's very emotional. He's tearing up and then he goes, I'm your dad. And then she, Noyen, rushes into his arms and they give each other a big hug. I sense an American style makeover coming on. Oh, of course. But first we need a little more painting, right? Yeah, so Jonathan and Mark painting. Mark is singing. He's He's doing his Swedish chef impression on Mm -hmm. a ladder up there. He's wearing his painter's whites. He's got his little hat, white hat on. John's walking away from the painting and Mark's like, wait, wait, where are you going? We got some painting to do. John's like, ah, I got to give someone a ride. John just like looks at him and smiles and then behind him you see someone getting into a car and you hear (laughs) more car magic so it's it's mom and noyen in the car it's always the cars so john walks over to them and he offers them a ride and of course they do the polite thing where they say oh no i don't want to bother you we have to do a lot of shopping in town and jonathan's like i've got nothing but time mark's doing the painting i'm great at suggesting dresses that would look good (laughs) on women that i don't have to buy for them right i didn't even think about that jonathan's probably excited about this outing we're at the clothing shop noyen's trying on clothes and the first outfit noyen tries on is jeans a cute little denim vest over a short sleeve western style shirt she's digging this outfit she comes out and she asks mom and jonathan what they think of it and they're all like yeah you look great what do you think and she says i look like a cowboy i'm sure the scene goes on but was there sort of a jump cutting montage showing a selection of different looks actually we only get two different looks so we get this cute little western look and then mom gives noyan some more clothes to try on so she just goes back in the dressing room so we don't get the full-on 80s montage fashion treatment that we get in many other shows and films of the time. No, we've got, we need to introduce a little more drama. Yes. So far, the last few scenes have been far less racism than the scenes prior to those. So uh, I'm sure we're probably getting pretty <laughs> close to some new racism in the storyline. Yeah, it has been a little while. So at this point, Noyan's in the changing room. The uh, widow from next door comes over. And she doesn't know, know about Noyen. Oh, no, she knows. Okay. She knows. Mm, this sounds like a loaded gun. She knows. Jeanette, hi. Hi. How's your girl working out? Noyen? Oh, she is a doll. Has she gotten the hang of using an American vacuum cleaner yet? What? Well, you're the envy of every woman on the block with that girl. None of us have a maid. What you're talking about? What other reason would you have for bringing your husband's illegitimate daughter into your house? Jeanette, Noyen is my daughter now. And anyone, I mean anyone who can't accept that is not welcome in my house. Well, that's just fine with me. Why didn't you ask her if her mother's the one who threw the hand grenade that killed my husband in Saigon? Neighbor woman kind of storms out. And then the mom is talking to Jonathan and she goes on to say, I can't believe it. I've known that woman for years. How can she have so much hate for a little girl she doesn't even know? And Jonathan says, People tend to hate what they don't know. The only reason to bring an illegitimate child of a mixed race into your household is to make them a servant in the Free household. Made. Good I Lord. mean, I don't think there's a logic behind it. I think she's just taking all of whatever scraps she can see next door and just trying to whittle them down into the sharpest knife she can. And it sounds like all the wives on the block have been gossiping, too, about this new daughter. So I'm sure this is just all built out of their conversations. Brad's parents have really made a decision that's going to affect it's every facet of their life. 
life here. It's interesting that they decided not to tell anyone about this, apparently, before it happened. There is one important detail. At the end of the scene, we cut to a shot of Noyen, who's come out of the dressing room and is now wearing a very young-looking pink ruffly dress that reminded me of dresses I wore when I was probably five years old in the 80s. But she has apparently heard this conversation, so she's just looking confused and upset. I think her dress was probably the height of 1984 girls' fashion. It probably was. But I feel like it was supposed to make the audience go, oh, look how sweet and American she is. What a sweet little girl. It is a bit of an odd choice to me that the daughter shows up fluent enough in English to understand the catty conversations that are occurring behind her back. I don't think she knows a lot of English. When she looks at herself in the mirror, she just says, cowboy. And then when she turns to John, she goes, John-like? So, I mean, she is obviously constructing sentences, but I don't feel like I hear her saying much more than two or three word sentences. Maybe she just heard the emotion. Okay. Highway to Heaven Revisited will return after a brief intermission. This is the intermission. It is happening right now. Please subscribe to Highway to Heaven Revisited wherever you get your podcasts. That way, you will never miss an episode. Visit our website, highwaytoheavenrevisited.com to listen to every episode of the podcast. While you are there, you will find links to our social media pages, contact information, and ways you can help support the show. If you enjoy the podcast, please consider supporting Highway to Heaven Revisited on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash highway to heaven revisited to see the variety of special perks exclusive to Patreon patrons. Is your company interested in sponsoring Highway to Heaven Revisited? Please send an email to highway to heaven revisited at gmail.com. Sam has been waiting his whole life to read your ads on the show. Intermission is over. We're now at dinner, and uh, we see Dad eating with chopsticks. Everyone's laughing. They're eating with chopsticks. Not everyone's laughing. Mom, Dad, and Noyen look like they're having a really good time. Sort of like cheesing, using the chopsticks. Dad spills food on himself, and they all laugh about it. We find out Noyen has cooked dinner for them. Not because she had to, because she wanted to. Noyen stands up and picks up some of the food platters and goes to serve Mom and Dad. And Mom, probably still stinging from the accusation, of having gotten a free maid says, oh, no, 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 we don't serve each other here. We do for ourselves. And Noyen explains that in Vietnam, it's a sign of respect to serve your elders, to serve your parents. So that's why she's doing it. To which Brad yells, well, this ain't Vietnam. Dad just gets mad at Brad. For acting like a first class jerk. Mm-hmm. He just says, you're her brother. You're supposed to act like a brother. Brad's like, what? I don't know what a brother, I've been an only child what? for 15 years. Yeah. What am and, I supposed to do? And we find out that dad is expecting Brad to show Noyen around at school tomorrow. And Brad's like, oh, I got tests. I don't know. And I don't have time. And dad, dad's just like, you, you have to do it. You're her brother. Okay. It's not a good setup for either of them. And it just dinner ends with dad basically telling Brad, I think you should just go upstairs and study for your tests. Well, what I liked was you know he gets mad yells at brad then mom calms dad down she's like calm down this is difficult for everybody and dad's like all right fine if you're done eating dinner go to your room and study i feel like he said it a little more angry if you're done with dinner go to your room and study that seems right Gee whiz, these are some complicated family dynamics and, quite frankly, some very poor parenting, if I have to be brutally honest. Yeah, it's tricky because they're so accepting and happy about this daughter, and yet their own son, it feels like they're kind of letting him down. Well, they're setting him up for failure. Yeah. And it's not like, did they only have like no time to figure this out, to think this ahead? Like, I like them. And, I do too. And this I understand whole... Brad being upset. This is a very similar situation to the Ronnie Blakely episode <laughs> where yeah. her ex-baby daddy just told her daughter that she was dead her entire life. Right. And this is the same kind of parenting where it's just like, hey, Brad, we've been working on adopting your teenage half-sister for the better part of one or two calendar years. That's all done now. And she's 
coming by tomorrow. This is what's happening. <sighs> I have to say, it is really easy to judge these parents. These fictitious parents right. on this television program. Right. Maybe they had long conversations about this, and maybe they really felt like this was the best decision. I can't quite see their logic. Sure. But they had I'm... their reasons, and now it's just blowing up in their faces. All right, so the next day, how happy is Brad at school? Noyen, Brad, and a, I just put her down as new girl, are walking together. This new girl seems like the tour guide girl, how sometimes if there was a new student, you'd get one of like the good A students to show them around. Let's just call her the class president. The class president. Yeah. And this yeah. girl seems really nice. She's going out of her way to help Noyen, reassuring her, giving her good information, which made me feel a lot more secure, mm-hmm. knowing that Noyen had this girl to rely on and not just Brad, until the class president says, okay, I have to go get my flute. I'll see you at lunch. And she just takes off. So what happens as soon as class president leaves? Uh, Brad probably just deserts her in the hallway. I mean, that would almost be better. But no, a group of guys comes up to Brad and Noyen and starts harassing them. Including Larry. Oh, that's right. It's Larry and maybe Brad's friends. From uh, soccer. They come over to her and they're like, you're a G word. They're they're trying uh-huh. to get they're her to copy her. them. They're, they're like, like saying, me, Jeff. In yeah, sort of me, Jeff, English. you, G word. <sighs> Wow. And, and so she's some very creative racism going on. She starts parroting it back to them. She's calling herself they're, it. They're laughing yeah. and she thinks she's making them laugh. And Brad tries to get her to stop. She doesn't know what's going on. Noyen's saying, Oh, it's it's okay. Don't get in a fight. She's they trying can to call make me that if better. they want. I can call myself that. That's fine. You don't have to be mad and argue over this. Of course she's just making everything worse. And Brad's like, No, you don't get it. They're making fun of you. And he's just like, just shut up then. Just shut up. It's okay. Let's leave. This show really takes some hot button issues and just like kind of punches them in the face. Yeah, I agree. The storytelling may either come across as over sentimental or heavy handed, I'm sure, at times during the show, but like this. It's not overly sentimental. I would have described the show as being very saccharine before I actually sat down and watched so much of this. The thing I liked about this scene that we have here, Brad's mad, but he doesn't abandon her. He walks off with her together. He's like still looking out for her, but he's been given a problem he can't solve. There's a lot of layers to his onion. Yeah. He's emotionally handcuffed and wrapped inside of a burlap sack and, and tossed like in the river. 14 years old. <laughs> yeah. Which is just awful enough right there. He's just trying to figure out a way to get a good dishwashing job two days ago. <laughs> he was like, How can I get a good dishwashing job so I can buy a new model train? Yeah. Right. Those were his biggest problems. We're heading back to the house. Mark is on his stepladder painting. We see Noyen coming up the driveway, walking slowly, looking sad. And at this point, so Mark doesn't actually spill a bucket of paint on his head, but he pretends to get paint in his eye. And he comes down the ladder and asks Noyen to grab him a rag. This is just his ploy to strike up a conversation with Noyen. I think Noyen might just jump right in. Excuse me. Wait, you hand me a rag? I got a little paint in my eye. Thank you. Oh, burned to high heaven. Mr. Mark, what means school? When you hear that? School. School. Well, uh, I guess it means, uh, reckon it's uh, just a mean, spiteful word that should never be used. Whoever said that was just trying to hurt you. I mean, just a mean person. I did not think there were mean people in America. Yeah, well, there is, I'm sorry to say. In Vietnam, I am this child. Government make my people scorn and hate me, so I want to come to America. Dust child, what is that? It means I am called American. I am different. I am of no more value than dust under your feet. All my life, I am told I am American and not truly Vietnamese. But when I come here, I am called Gook, not American. I do not know what I am. You're a human being, that's what you are. You're a good human being who has a right to live and be happy like everybody else. But you gotta be brave. It takes a very brave person 
to realize that she has that right and to take it. The real thesis of this whole episode is how they can, like, make a difference and change people's mind about racism yeah. towards Hmong people. Yeah. Yep. This is great. Okay. Yeah, this is wow. pretty, pretty heavy. We are going back to the hotel room, and Mark has brought some groceries back, and he's brought one of your favorite meals, or close to it, Rachel. Yeah, very close to it. Is it the fancy grilled cheese from Sonic? <laughs> no, he's, oh, got a, he's got a brown paper grocery bag. He's like, I got salami. I got some types of cheeses. I got some fresh French bread. Oh, John, you're going to love this. Have you ever had charcuterie before? <laughs> right. I mean, like, if you just cut up some tomatoes and brought basil, that's my favorite thing. Is it just Mark and Jonathan? Just Mark and Jonathan, but Jonathan's thoughtful, and he doesn't want any food. And, and Mark says something like, I know you don't need anything, but don't you ever just get a taste for something? Jonathan says, no, I'm, I'm fine. But I, I also brought you angel food cake. I brought you something I thought you might like. <laughs> and he says, well, that, that was nice of you. And then he looks out the window and it cuts back to him and his eyes are filled with tears. He looks so sad. Wow. Well, I am glad that Mark asked him, don't you ever get a taste for something? So he's yeah. addressed one of those questions about whether or not Michael Landon can even eat. But Michael Landon is too pensive to eat tonight. Yes, that's clear. Mark's just like, man, you haven't said anything all night. What's going on? John says, I'm just thinking about people. Just thinking about people. Oh, they must be a big disappointment to him sometimes. I created something capable of loving and caring, and it turns into something it hates for no reason. Why does he let him get away with it? I mean, why doesn't he punish him? I don't know. For his children, maybe he feels they should learn by their own mistakes. Besides, punishing people never really changes. Sure, like to punish those two kids that hit New Year today. I know how you feel, but in a way, they punish themselves. People who hate never really feel any peace inside. It's a sickness worse than any plague this world has ever seen. The sad part of it is the cure is inside every one of us. What is it? Love. Simple, isn't it? Just love. Highway to heaven, home run. Dang. Okay, so Michael Landon has given us a great, insightful sermon on the scourge of racism. Are we on to more racism in the neighborhood or at school? We're going to carry it on to the soccer field. We haven't had any racism with our sports. The last time we were in the sports zone, it was very positive. Yeah, so we're back on the soccer field. We see Brad and Larry. They're scrimmaging against each other. And it looks like Larry pushes Brad down on purpose. Then we see Noyan walking by the soccer field and waving at her dad. Dad waves back at her. And the next thing I know, Brad and Larry are like on the ground, full on fighting. Larry started it. Dad breaks up the fight. And Just a, a random dad from the neighborhood? <laughs> dad whose name I can't remember. Where's the other the coach, dad coming from? Oh, so the coach, Brad's dad isn't the coach. Brad's dad is the coach. Sorry, yeah. that got confusing there. Okay, Brad Brad's and Larry are fighting. Isn't Larry the dad? <laughs> Wait, no, Larry's the friend. <laughs> right. Okay, so father and son are not oh, having a fist fight. I love getting these mental images, though. So father didn't actually push Brad no, down. No. <laughs> No, they weren't scrimmaging. <laughs> no, the two neighbor boys, former best friends, are fighting. And Larry, whose dad was killed in Vietnam, is the one who pushed over Brad. Yes. Larry is now getting blamed for the fight by Brad's dad. And Brad's dad has some other stuff to add, too. He's like, I don't know what your problem's been this week. You've been late for practice, insubordinate. You've just all around had a bad attitude, Larry. I want you off this team. I'm kicking you off the team. And Larry's like, I don't want to be here anyway because I'm a total racist now. If you can fix your attitude, son, you can come back. And he's like, I'm not your son. My dad's dead, all right? We know that, Larry. <laughs> We know. There are some chips on Larry's shoulders. This is the thing that I like about Highway to Heaven is because the people in an HR video would just be mean and racist for no reason. They give the motivation. I got to hand it to you. This is some pretty smart storytelling. It has been a pleasant surprise. So we now are at the home. Back at Brad and Richard and Mom, who I'm, I'm sorry, I don't know what her name is. Does she have a name? Mom is sitting with Noyan. Noyan's birthday is tomorrow. Oh, God. 
God. Right? Okay. <laughs> Noyan's birthday is tomorrow. Noyan is sitting with mom and she's opening up an early birthday present. And the present is a picture of Noyan's mom when Richard knew her. Noyan says she's never seen her mom that young or that pretty or looking that happy. So Noyan is very excited to have this picture. She's so excited that she actually runs over to Brad, who's like in the kitchen, and she wants to show Brad the picture. And she says, Brad, Brad, this is my mom. Look, this is my mom. Look how happy she looks. I don't think she gets the reaction she hoped she would from Brad. Oh, Brad's, no. Brad's pissed. He pushes her aside and just walks up to his dad and like, you got to put Larry back on the team, Dad. Why does he want Larry back? Why does he want Larry back on the team? Because Larry's like family. Larry's like my best friend. He's like family. And everybody knows those people killed his dad. This is so complicated. This kid, Brad, I don't even know what to say right now. This seems like a pretty nice family. And so we have to assume they really are. We're all trying the best they could and trying to make good decisions. And it just did not work out the way they wanted it to. I honestly don't think they could avoid any of the scourge of racism in this small town. No amount of like pamphlets distributed at the church they all go to could have stopped the xenophobia from occurring. But the whole not telling Brad thing just has a tremendous effect of just like compounding so many elements on top Mm -hmm. of a situation. Brad is really upset and he's yelling at his dad and dad is staying pretty cool at this point. He's trying to explain himself to Brad, which I totally get why he's doing that, but not the right moment. He's going into like Vietnam was awful and I was really lonely and you didn't know what it's like. And, he, and Brad is not in a space where he can hear this. And this is also probably information that Brad's dad hasn't shared up to this point anyway. It's like, oh, great. Now you won't actually want to talk about Vietnam, dad. This isn't another thing you could have fit in in the previous 14 years of my life. I think this is just for me such a relatable example of where emotions are really heightened and one person is at a point where they can't hear and the other person is choosing that moment to be like, but I'm going to really try to explain and reveal these things that I've been holding back and you don't respond right and therefore I'm never going to do it again. And it actually, it gets a little bit worse. Son Brad has thrown these racial slurs at his dad. Dad actually slaps Brad and says, never let those obscene words come out of your mouth again. And then Brad runs off. So that's I mean, that's that's, that's what happens. Yeah, and that's I why it's yeah, pretty realistic. That was, that was the acid, like he starts throwing words yep. around and mm-hmm. right then his dad just slaps him into the grandfather clock. He hits the grandfather clock and the clock chimes. I missed I missed that detail. Yeah. That that sounds like a, a Marx Brothers move. Brad runs to his room, and as he runs to his room, we pass Nguyen's bedroom, and she's crying into the picture of her mom. This is not a happy household. It's not really good for a picture to get wet. Back when there used to be like oh, it's in a frame. Photos. Oh, it's okay. in a frame, oh. so it's okay. Okay, yeah. so there is a moisture barrier. Yeah, so that the, the picture is safe at least. Oh, all right. Let's go back to school. So we're back at school and Brad goes up to Larry and he's like, man, Larry, I was thinking about this last night. My dad's wrong. You were right all along. I hate this girl. She's not my sister. Larry's not buying it. He's like, if you actually hate her, you got to prove it. You're either with us or you're against us. I think Larry's going to grow up to work in the George W. Bush administration. (laughs) This is exactly (laughs) what it hit me when when they did that. I went, oh my gosh, I'm back. post 9-11. So of course Noyen comes running over. Everyone starts just hurling slurs again, just saying really mean things. Noyen looks to Brad to help her and he doesn't. He actually tells her everything was great until you came over. Go back to Vietnam. Well, if we're not at rock bottom yet, we're getting pretty close. This is all is lost. Noyen runs away crying. Of course. Who wouldn't? End of the school day, we're going to go back to the homestead. Brad and Larry have made up. They're out in the driveway shooting some hoops. And we've got Mark and John and they are finishing up painting the house and Mark's just like, we haven't solved the problem, have we? Yeah, they're packing up. They're done painting the house. So they're packing up to leave. Mark's like, I don't want to paint this house again. (laughs) Racism doesn't seem to have been banished from this household yet. Nothing's Uh, gotten better. Jonathan just kind of says, give me a minute. And so Jonathan goes over to play some basketball. Picks up the basketball. Great shot. Nothing but net. Angel magic. And the boys are like, hey, you're pretty good. Why don't you come play basketball with us? A little round of horse, maybe. Larry introduces himself. Somehow Larry says his full name or says mm-hmm. something about his dad. I'm Jonathan Smith. Larry Everett. I seen you working over at Brad's. Larry Everett. 
Peter, your dad wouldn't be Sergeant Larry ever by any chance. Third infantry? Yes, sir. I... How'd you know that? Be darn it, I know I knew him. In Nam, we were friends. You're kidding. Larry, you need to come in now and do your homework. We have some serious angel lying coming up here. Okay, lay it on me. Mm-hmm. Let's go. We need some stuff. But Jonathan tells Larry that he served with Larry's father in Vietnam and that they were really good friends. They knew each other well. Three lies in a row. Mm-hmm. And what we I wrote know his backstory, though. We still don't know. Okay, maybe this is actually Jonathan Price's backstory. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> it's possible. <laughs> But, okay. I'm the leader of this cult. (laughs) Joel. I have in my notes, at this point, Larry's mom comes out of the house, and I wrote, and Jonathan lies to her, too. Mom. Mom, come here. This this guy, Mr. Smith, he he said he knew Dad and Mom. They were friends. Is that true? Yes, ma'am, it is. Well, what an amazing coincidence. Well, tell us about him, Mr. Smith. What was my dad like? Uh, He was the best soldier I ever met. There's no telling how many lives he saved. He was a real hero. Saved lives? Did you hear that, Mom? They, they should have given him the Medal of Honor or something. Well, your dad wasn't the kind of hero they give medals to. Why not? Well, because his real fight was not on a battlefield. It was in the streets of Saigon. That's where he was killed. I know, on one of his missions. I'll tell you, son, your father would beg, borrow, or steal to help a bunch of Vietnamese kids that nobody wanted. Brought him food, clothing, medicine. Anything to keep his adopted kids from suffering another night of hunger or pain. Larry and his mom are like, what? Well, I heard he died on the streets of Saigon. He died delivering powdered milk to the kids. He was trying to help these kids out, like running medical supplies, bringing them food. And that's how he was actually killed. Your father gave his life so that kids like Nguyen could live. How do you feel about that now, Larry? I know how hard it is to lose a man like your husband. But when you look at someone like Nguyen, you know he didn't die in vain. He was quite a man. Hey, I'd better uh, skip that game of ball with you. My partner would get mad if I don't help him load up the painting supplies. And then they're off. The episode's pretty much over, right? They're actually just taking a really long time to pack up the station wagon. Okay, it's either Jonathan Smith's origin story that I was there, I did serve with your dad, and I knew him well. Right. But those are probably three lies... But because of angel magic and infinite knowledge from the supreme being, that is the story. Well, then here's my question. Was that actually how Larry's dad died? Did Larry's dad actually care for all these kids in Saigon? Or is Jonathan and the big boss just making that up in order for the greater good of helping to lessen the racism of this small town? I mean, it is a well-placed story that they can't prove or disprove because the involved parties are dead. Right. I don't know. They build up these storylines to like a fever pitch of like a hatred sandwich. And then they're like, oh, uh, we got three minutes left. Uh, What do we do? How do we wrap this up? I don't know how I feel about it. Does anything else happen? Does Larry say anything or does his face just change showing us that he's probably going to be significantly less racist in the future? Faces are definitely looking thoughtful. Mm -hmm. Larry does say at the very end of this scene, I never knew, but we're not quite to the end yet. We have a few more. uh... Okay, one more problem. So we go back inside the house and the parents are getting ready for Nguyen's birthday party. They have like a party set up. They have a cake and like a party banner and hat. And the two boys walk in and ask if they can, you know, participate in the party. Can they help out? And they say, you know, that they're sorry for the way that they've been acting. Which is all you can hope Mm -hmm. at this point. They ask for a dad to give them another chance. And dad says, thank you. Can you go tell Nguyen how you feel? And the mom and dad hug. Mom says, ah, we're a family again. And out from the back room, we hear the son's voice yell, hey, dad, come here. And we find out that Nguyen is nowhere to be found. And there is a runaway note. Dad says, oh, my goodness. Well, I'm going to go to the bus station and uh, I'm going to check to see if she's at the bus station. If not, then we'll call the police. Then the kids go out and see John and John just tells him, hey, you know what? Hop in the car. I have a hunch. Yeah, because they're still packing up the car. So boys hop in the car. Jonathan takes them to where he thinks she might be. And they all get out of the car at this destination. And Jonathan tells the boys, you start in that restaurant. And then the boys go in the restaurant and Mark's like, where should we go? Should we split up? And Jonathan kind of gives him one of his little Jonathan smirks. And he's like, there's no need. They're I, in the restaurant. Obviously, she's I in the pointed restaurant. them in the right direction. So they found her. And Brad apologizes. I know you ran away because of me. I don't blame you. It was rotten to you. I mean, all of a sudden, it wasn't just me and my folks anymore. I was jealous, I guess. And I'm sorry. If you just give me a chance, I 
I could show you that I could be a good brother and a good friend. So please forgive me and come home. Do you mean that? I sure do. And she gives him a hug. That's mm-hmm. a sweet moment. Yeah. And in the background, John and Mark show up. Mark says, I love this job. John. Jonathan says, so do I. So then we're back home. Is there one more scene? One more scene. So they're in the car. Mark's just like, hey, are we going in? John's like, no, we're done here. Mark wants to go get some birthday cake. Come on, we've got a long ride ahead. I need some food. This mortal coil doesn't spring itself. And John's like, no, we got to hit the road, man. <laughs> we're going. mortal coil doesn't spring itself. I'm going to use that later. <laughs> and then right before they take off, there are some kids on bikes who go past yelling some more uh, slurs at the house. And they're yelling them over and over. And they bike past the car. And then uh, John looks up at him, makes a John face, and they both crash off their bikes. (laughs) Nice. And then John smiles and said, I probably shouldn't have done that. (laughs) It is a little against type. It is nice to see him get a little vindictive with the local youths, though. Well, and that's what Mark says. I don't think he's going to mind at all. They laugh, then the car drives past, and right after the car drives past, the kids get back on their bikes and start biking a little bit, and then crash again. (laughs) That's the ending. Excellent. Well, that's a nice little comedic button on quite a heavy, complicated episode of Highway to Heaven. Yeah. So this is the 11th episode. Yes. And they have really hit on so many different issues in this short amount of time. This is a show that takes a lot of big swings at stuff. It's been very interesting to talk about it with you both. Yeah. Well, uh, let's talk about the moral of the story today. There's a quote. I don't know how old it is, whether or not it's a, a modern quote or an ancient proverb, but the saying goes something like, be nice to everybody you meet because they've lived an entire lifetime before the moment you met them. Mm -hmm. That's the whole thing. Everybody's got circumstances, no matter where they came from. And this is an Mm anti-war piece. This is an anti-racism piece. The moral of the story is war is bad. Racism is bad. I think what happens is you don't have to dig very hard into anyone's life, no matter how successful, to find a uh, deep vein of tragedy. And that tragedy causes a lot of problems for people. And a lot of times we are just tackling those problems and not the source of them. I feel like the lesson in this episode is beauty is more than skin deep. I like yours better than mine, Joel. Your lead up was way better on yours too. So far, you're you're winning. You want to try to top that one, Rachel? No. No, it's just I don't know. And show. Thanks for listening, everybody. I think you made a great point right there, Joel, and I'm not trying to take that away from you. All right. Before we get out of here, we got to talk about the Michael Landon factor. So season one, episode 11, Dust Child. On a scale of one to 10 Michael Landons, what is the Landon factor? This is where it gets a little tricky for me because it was a very effective episode and very moving in a lot of ways. But was the Michael Landon factor high? You know, there was the whole Mark getting flipped upside down thing but jonathan said he didn't do that so that was not michael landon oh yeah so i guess we can't contribute that to the michael landon factor because that was wonderful but that was not michael landon's work what else did he do there was some car trouble there was a little car trouble there was ladders that magically appeared on the car there was jumping ahead 400 miles 400 miles yeah car there was some very start light teleportation and there was just a lot of heart he had a heck of a monologue in the middle somewhere there that was really nice. I am going to go with seven and a half. Seven and a half. Mm. All right. What about you, Joel? The Michael Landon effect for me, when he's putting on the charm that only Michael Landon has, I think when he shows up at the house in his low-cut blue V-neck shirt in the middle of the night saying, hey, I'm just a house painter here with my friend. Will you uh, give us a job? Highly Michael Landon effect. So you were a big fan of the persuasion. Uh, When he goes out shopping with the mom and Nguyen, he's putting on the charm and uh, the sadness that he feels very soulful Uh, i'm gonna go with a seven all right so season one episode 11 dust child overall michael landon factor of 7.25 if you disagree with that please give us a call on the hotline to heaven that number is 612-356-2495 or 612-flowbiz5 any final thoughts before saying goodbye 
folks. You know, I'm just going to continue to encourage people, go go watch the show. Yeah. I don't think yes. you'll regret it. As enjoyable as it is to listen to us talk about the show, give it a viewing. Completely agree. I went into it thinking that this would just be a saccharine thing that I would just be making fun of and just having a fun time riffing on it. And it just seems to be the salve that's keeping me together these days. Yeah, I mean, all joking aside, I think our uh, what would Jonathan Smith do? We need a little more of that. Yeah, this has got a lot of overarching themes of social justice, and it's been pretty interesting for me as well to explore those with you. Well, thanks for uh, joining me once again over here, Rachel and Joel. I look forward to exploring the next storylines as they unfold. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you soon. Bye, Jerry. Next time on Highway to Heaven Revisited. I could have your job. Ah, you wouldn't want it. Trays are heavy. Highway to Heaven Revisited is the galaxy's only podcast offering a comprehensive view of Michael Landon's classic 1980s television series, Highway to Heaven. Do you want to watch along with Rachel and Joel? Highway to Heaven is streaming almost anywhere. Check your favorite streaming platform to see if it is available. Please follow Highway to Heaven Revisited on Instagram. That's at Highway to Heaven Revisited. Do you have a question or comment for the hosts or moderator? Call the Hotline to Heaven. The number is 612-356-2495. That number again is 612-FLOW-BIZ-5. Your message might be played on the show. Or send the show an email at highwaytoheavenrevisited at gmail.com. Your message might be featured on the show. If you have time, please rate and review Highway to Heaven Revisited on iTunes. If you like this podcast, please share it with a friend. Theme music composed by Brian Just. Thank you for listening, and be sure to join the gang for the next episode. Highway to Heaven Revisited is a Channel 3 TV production.